the time has come to get some of this. In This Corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition, and it's ready to change levels and take you down thanks to a boost of the most untraceable and potent substance in combat sports today, that performance-enhancing audio. This is a show that not only sounds good, hey, it smells even better. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. The Brian Campbell is, in fact, the voice that you hear, but I'm just about ready to tag in my main man, King Mo, Muhammad Lawal, who will be an interested spectator, to say the least, in Friday's Bellator World Grand Prix heavyweight tournament matchup between Matt Mitrione and Roy Nelson. Listen, should King Mo defeat Ryan Bader in May, he would be set to face the winner of Friday's bout. So not only will you hear Lawal's take on who wins, on who he wants to win, you will hear from both fighters themselves in separate interviews with Mitrione and Big Country as they look back on their 2012 first meeting and look ahead at what has changed entering Friday's rematch. King Mo will also join me to break down UFC 221 from Down Under and the rise of Yoel Romero, also the fall of Luke Rockhold. Look, it's a podcast overall. That is guaranteed to impress. I'm not impressed by your performance. hey But speaking of leaving a five-star review, hey, wait a second. That's a great idea, right? If you hear something today on the show that you like. If you see something, say something. Please do us that favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, review. Heck, shout us out on social media using that hashtag in this corner. It goes a long way. And just a heads up, the audio magic that you're about to hear, we had a few issues at times that we fixed on the fly. Bear with us. The content is still everything you're looking for. So let's shout it on out and pass the baton now over to the king. Enjoy. King Mo and BC coming right back at you. King Mo, loaded show today, like a hit off the top. A lot of Bellator talk and interviews to get to, but we want to start off by looking back at the weekend that was. And the thunder came from down under at UFC 221. King Mo, I called this on paper Maybe the worst UFC pay-per-view card in history, but I gotta give it credit. We saw some, some highlights, we saw some action, and we saw a very interesting main event with Yoel Romero knocking out Luke Rockhold in the third round, not winning that UFC interim middleweight championship because he came in overweight on Friday, but was able to likely secure a rematch, a title shot against full champion Robert Whitaker. Right off the top, King Mo, your reaction to how this went down? Uh, a rough one for Luke. Great win for Romero. Um, now the UFC should be happy because Romero missed weight and won. So now the the weight class, 185 pound weight class, is back back normal. Um, now what you said, Romero. I'm not sure if he's gonna get a title shot because he missed weight. I don't know. He might have beat Luke, but will he get a title shot even though he missed weight? Will he have to fight one more time? What well, what will happen? Dana White has been quiet afterwards except for he responded to a text from ESPN's Brett Okamoto and says it's in his intention to book a Whitaker rematch. Now, look, we take Dana's words always with a grain of salt, but that seems to be the direction they want to go. Uh, yeah, we'll see. You just never know. They, they've all, they said a lot of stuff like they're not going to sell the UFC. Remember that? No, Remember, that Remember when they told uh, myself and Brett Okamogo that Breck Lesnar is not coming back? Dana told us to our face. Guess what happened later that night at UFC 199? They announced that Brock Lesnar is coming back. All right, let's break down the nuts and bolts because this was a good fight. On paper, Romero Rockwold won hell of a fight, and it was pretty exciting the way it played out. I'm going to come at you, though, from a fan perspective. Not journalist or, or fighter because I don't have that background, but from a fan perspective. 
I'm a big fan of what Luke Rockhold brings to the table. I thought he was on his way to becoming one of the pound-for-pound best when he was the champion, when he defeated Weidman and then suffered that defeat against Bisping at UFC 199, like I just mentioned, that to me was just sort of like too cocky, hands down, thought he was going to beat the late replacement Bisping, really caused an unnecessary detour in his own career. Two years later, though, worked himself back up to the highest level into a title shot. King Mo, I see so much talent in this guy. But yet I see something missing at the very elite level when he gets there. I thought he was overly cocky against Bisping and didn't put his best foot forward. I thought he was way too cautious in this one. And it it led to him being backed up and knocked out. Do you see that from the technical standpoint, the same thing? How did you see the way he lost this fight? Exactly the same way you said it. I feel like he was, um, he wasn't assertive enough. He didn't push the pace. He didn't, he didn't like, you know, um, go out there and, and stake the claim of, Hey, this is, this is my belt. He went out there and was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to be past some of you. I'm going to be cautious because remember when he fought Bisping, he went out there showing him no respect. He went out there, hands down, overconfident. You know, and he's walked him down. Didn't show him no respect, and look what happened. So this time, he's thinking. Well, I'm assuming he's probably thinking, okay, I got a a wrestler, very dangerous fighter, very athletic, and explosive. Let me be cautious. Let me make it past these first few rounds. Then I'm gonna go try to drown him in the deep, in the deep water. And uh, what happened was he was so cautious that he didn't make Romero work. So Romero just kind of BS his way through the round, threw a few, had a few flurries. Blocked a few shots, threw a few punches, and then just conserved his energy. That's all he did for two rounds. I think in the third round, if it went to the fourth, Romero would have started wrestling at that time. We would have saw a takedown at the end of the third, and you would have saw him wrestle more in the fourth and fifth. So that's interesting because Romero, one of the key takeaways you take from this is, you know, comes in with that reputation that he can't go five hard rounds. That, you know, we saw that against Whitaker, right? It looked great for round two. Rounds three and four, he disappeared. He was very economical in his cardio this time around. But what you're basically saying is Rockhold enabled him. He allowed him by not pressing. Yeah, man, this too, man. Like, I don't, like, I heard that Romero didn't have a gym to train at. You know, I heard that he just did strength training and, you know, he took a final short notice. So what, how can he really prepare? Now, two, now, that could have helped him because you had Rockhalt trained for a striker, a big striker that's a blitzer that comes forward. You know, he's a blitzer. And instead, he got a wrestler that is explosive, but he doesn't really blitz. He'll take you down, and he's kind of um, unpredictable. So how would you try do you train for that? He trained for him in Florida. There were no wrestlers. He didn't have Daniel. He had – I think he had um, – um, Usman to work with, but Usman and Romero are two different styles. Didn't so he have Vulcan? in the long run, did he have Vulcan yeah. there too? Yeah, but Vulcan, how could Vulcan help help with um, Romero? You know what I'm saying? So in the long run, I think what hurt him is I think that he, he was too cautious, and I think too he didn't have the right training partner to simulate Romero. Yeah. So the UFC cameras on their you know their preview documentary series, it sort of showed Romero like working out in a garage somewhere in South Florida. It didn't seem like he was at a a gym with with top level you know sparring opponents that you're saying. But the interesting thing was him taking the fight on one month's notice and him missing weight by nearly three pounds on Friday. There was some talk of like who would that benefit from the betting odds standpoint. Rockholt, who started as the underdog. And then slowly became the bettering favorite. Scott, the the odds skyrocketed once Romero missed weight. Rockhold became a much larger favorite. So the the sharps, the smarts, were saying, "Okay, Romero short camp missed weight. 
he's going to be in a bad shape, yet it, it ended up being the opposite. Like, he had better cardio than we'd seen him in any fight in which he, in which he prepared hardcore for. So that was, that was just an interesting dynamic, the way that played out. It seemed like it benefited him, not having to cut. Well, yeah, I, but, but at the same time, like, as far as the fight, like, Luke never, Luke, ne- Luke didn't do much with them. Luke just threw a few kicks. Luke did threw a few, threw a few jabs. Luke didn't ever change the pace on them. Because it, if you want to get a guy tired, you change the pace on them. You go up and down. What ends up happening is they, they, they panic and they, they gas out. Luke kept it, kept the pace at a, like, a even, you know, I don't, I don't think Ramirez even broke a sweat. Until the third round. See, so it looked at first like Rockhold was his entire strategy was let's just take this into rounds three and four. That's what it looked like at first. I wonder if he got hit with a strike early on that we didn't that didn't stand out to us, but that to him it caused him to go in a defensive shell. Well, I, I think I think what happened was strikes closer. You got closer because if you look at it, Ramiro didn't really throw too much. I think the flurry, the, the initial flurry, he was like, oh wow, okay. Ramiro still has it. Let me be, let me, you know, he could, he could explode a little bit here and there. I wasn't ready for that, but let me, let me be smart. Let me keep distance, which his coach was saying, move laterally, keep the jab on them. When Luke was, was flicking his jab and throwing it, a good educated jab, it was good. But at times Luke would load up on the jab and throw a piston jab, it wasn't good. Cause then he stayed, then he stayed there. But when Luke was on, on his bike and flicking the jab out and, you know, landing it, he looked great. He could have fought like that. All, like for another four or five rounds. Now, I would like to see Luke throw body kicks, throw some straight lefts to the body, but instead he was just doing the push. And the uh, mirror was just like, okay, push is not doing anything to me. I'll just take that as long as I'm not working hard. That's what happened. That, that's the key right there. I mean, you never saw Rockhold go for a takedown. He's got, you know, such an incredible top game. He, it, it was clear he didn't want to grapple with Romero. So that was interesting in the way that played out. Kingmo, I came away from this. You know, as a respecter of Rockhold, sort of saying, we got chin issues here? What's going on? You came back to me over text before the fight and saying, no, it's not chin issues. It's defensive issues. Break that down for me. But when he fights, well, you know, if you watch Luke, Luke tends to back up in a straight line, chin in the air. Another thing is Luke has a freestyle stance where he his hands are up or with the lead hands down with the lead hands down you don't want to pull back in a straight line a lot of times luke if you see before he got knocked out he was trying to draw draw um, ramiro in by throwing a check hook but instead of throwing a check hook he kept the feet planted and threw the hook now when you throw the check hook you gotta drift back to give him space to come forward to throw the hook like when you watch when you watch um floyd versus ricky hatton mm-hmm. when when he was in the corner he drew he drew Hatton in and counted him well, Luke had the right idea, but he didn't draw back, so he stayed there to get hit. Ramiro, Ramiro had the right distance by throwing the one, one, two. He had a good jab. I just feel like sometimes when you watch Luke, instead of circling out with the hands up, he pulls straight back in the line. And if you watch Luke also, you never see the head move. You see this, or you see him go like that. You never see the head moving side to side. I, you never see him throw jabs to the body. You never see him throw straight lefts to the body. You never see too many hooks in this, in this last fight. I didn't see him throw many punches, but just a jab and maybe a one-two. Yeah, I mean, and a few um, push kicks. That's a good breakdown. And you referenced the the famous check hook that that Mayweather threw that sent Hatton fa- face first into the corner. And we apologize, listeners. Uh, we had a couple of audio issues that we've been fighting through, but that's an interesting breakdown. And for Rockhold King Mo, it's just interesting because 
a guy with so much talent. John Anik, during the broadcast, called him the most talented middleweight in UFC history. And it was sort of like this bold statement. He's not calling him the best. He's not calling him better than Anderson Silva, but he's saying pound for pound the most talented, but he can't put it together. So where do we go from here for Rockhold? Because it looked like a really difficult weight cut for him. The Fox cameras interviewed him after the weigh-in. He could barely speak as he's trying to rehydrate. It was like that looked a little bit question questionable in terms of how hard that may have been for him. The idea of him moving up to 205, which is not something he's entertaining publicly, but we are as critics. Is that a good move for him? Is that a better future for him? Where do you see, where see Luke sort of going from here? Uh, with, with, with Luke, I don't see it as a weight issue. I just see it as a technical issue. Luke could be good at 205 and 185. You know, I just think more than anything, like, um, I think he'll be back. I think he will win the belt eventually. I think that the first time he, he undershot, I mean, he overshot versus, versus Bisping, he's overconfident. This time he undershot. <laughs> the third, third time, no, the third time is it, it, the, the charm. He'll find the, the middle, the middle ground and, and go out there and perform. And you'll see a good, you'll see a good rain. I think you'll see a good five or six fight rain from Luke once he gets that belt. We'll see. We'll see about that. It was interesting. He's still young. He was so confident. He was so co- confident in a, in a good type of cocky coming into this saying, I'll wrestle with Romero. I'll do anything. It just didn't work out. But now we got to talk about Romero. I mean, this is a great story. A guy who's going to be 41 in April, a guy who thought maybe his, Title aspirations were over when he had that five-round decision loss to Whitaker last year. A really good fight in which he sort of gassed at times, wasn't able to put through a full performance. The first question is, I mean, how is this guy this good at this age? Now, we do have to say, won a silver medal at the Olympics in 2000. Had been in amateur wrestling for almost the next decade that followed before he finally made his UFC, or his MMA debut in 2009. So he may not have the mileage of other guys at 40, about to turn 41. But this is one heck of a story to see that guy in that kind of shape be that explosive at this age. Well, you know, if you look at it, the last thing you lose really is your explosiveness and your and, and your power. So Romero has that. Two, Romero takes good care of himself. Um, comes from a comes from a, a good world-class background from wrestling. So if you watch a fight, his fights are all the same. He moves. He moves. Makes you miss. He don't do too much circles. Makes some hand gestures. Faints. Throw a few punches. And then he'll look to explode here and there. Romero's very smart when it comes to conserving his energy. He's very efficient. The only time I've seen him waste energy, really, is when he fought Robert Whittaker. Other than that. When he fought Whittaker, he kind of wasted some energy in there. And Whittaker gassed him out. Whittaker forced him to fight the fight that he wanted to fight. But, uh, I think Romero, what we're seeing is a guy that understands his, understands his limits, you know, as far as cardio. And I think that Romero, you're going to start seeing more fights where he'll be like Robbie. He'll go out there, win the first, second. Or he'll, I think, I think he'll alternate rounds. He'll take, win one, take a round off, win one, take a round off. And you see yesterday, that's what he did. First round, didn't do too much. Second round, he came in. Third round, He's through that land that one one two was over. I mean, he's now got to see. You can't. You can't. It's interesting now. He's got a string of of violent victories. I mean, he sent you know Weidman to hell. He knocked out Leota Machida. It's starting to be where, in a short time, King Mo, his resume at middleweight at the UFC is pretty nasty. I mean, he's got victories over Derek Brunson, Tim Kennedy, Machida, Jacare by split decision. He destroyed Weidman. He just destroyed Rockhold. 
This is starting to be a historically good resume. In fact, there's already people on Twitter sort of saying, is this an Anderson Silva type resume already? I mean, that that's a bold t- sort of leap, but it's like, don't look now. Romero's maybe got a deeper resume behind him than we thought, and now he's got a second chance at a UFC title. I don't know how long his run at the very top can be, but this guy is as dangerous as anyone in the company right now. Yeah, he's a very dangerous fighter. But man, so is so is a uh, Whitaker, man. So um, it's gonna be interesting. I'm not sure if they, I'm. Let's see what they. You know, I have a feeling they're gonna make him fight Jacare next. That I have a feeling they're gonna make him fight Jacare next because things like who knows how long it take for Robert Whitaker to actually come back and be in shape. Um, the first fight between Romero and and um and uh Jacare. and uh, uh um Jacare was. It was a three round, I believe. Yeah, split decision, December twenty fifteen. It was a three round, and it was a split decision. So now is the perfect time to run it back. I Jock thought Jock come off a big victory. That. Yeah, I think awesome. that fight could have gone either way. It was almost like they canceled each other out, Kimo. There wasn't a lot of action. It was very chess match like. No, 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 no. Actually, a good fight. If you look, if you remember, there's one controversy that happened, and that's when Romero was taken down. And he grabbed the cage with his fingers. Yes. We landed on top. We landed on top. So the thing is, like, there are little things that, you know, little small things that could, could change the outcome of the fight. So I have a feeling that's what they'll do. They'll give Robert Wick some time to heal, and they'll mandate and they'll have Jock Ray versus Romero and, you know, for, um, to decide who the true contender is. Hey, it's interesting. It would depend on how long Whitaker is out. Now, Romero appeared as if he broke he was limping afterwards he said in a post-fight interview he thought his broke he broke his leg but his manager Malky Kawa came out on social media and said no just a deep shin bruise he'll be back before you know it so it, it does depend on timing but I you know it's just it's crazy this is this is uh an end that I didn't see coming here for for Rockhold and Romero but now we got a we got a fun player to watch now Kimo this Card was not strong. I mentioned that before. Curtis Blades in the co-main event taking a decision for Mark Hunt. I mean, if that's your co-main event, that's not good. But we saw another heavyweight, Ty Tuivasa, uh, get a fun TKO over Cyril Asker and kind of look like a killer there in the first round. But then show his personality with a wild interview afterwards. And then he drank a beer out of a shoe off of foot of a member of the crowd for how shallow this division is. You know the UFC is going to push anybody who can talk and be exciting. Do you think this guy's a player though, as a fighter, from what we've seen so far? Uh, I don't know. I think maybe it's just that they're trying to find new people, um, match him up with somebody that that you know put him against the um the guy from Poland. Well, actually, the guy from Poland's already matched up. If you put him against a guy that another undefeated way or another like you know Stephen Strew maybe or the you know winner of the winner the loser or the winner of Stephen Strew versus uh, um Arlowski. You know, um, test him a little bit because the guy's been fighting for a while. He's undefeated and he's had some nasty knockouts. He's fought guys like um, on the in the, the regional circuit, like Peter Graham. He's faced good strikers. He's a striker himself. He's looking to improve. So why not give him another elite level striker um, to fight on a on a main card here in Vegas? Hey, if somebody's gonna drink a beer out of a shoe. He can market himself. This guy's a fun player. I want to see this guy again. That maybe I maybe I have a character flaw and I can fall for that quickly, but I want to see it. One more guy from this card I want to see again, King Mo, is the middleweight Israel Adesanya, who really came through in his UFC debut. You know, we'd seen kickboxing videos of him of doing nasty stuff. In his kickbo- in his UFC debut, he stops Rob Wilkinson in round two TKO. But 
sort of showed you that he's poised, he can be exciting, he can talk a bit afterwards. This is a guy I want to see again, but not a guy I want the UFC to rush up the matchmaking chain and put him in with a killer in his next fight. Let this guy develop. Well, they'll develop him, but I, I have a feeling they're going to mess up. You know, they did with Mark DeCosti, they messed up with Mark. They've, they've, they, 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 their booking is different. Like, it's not like you're in Bellator, who got booked like MVP. They'll, they'll move him wrong, move him along to become a killer. Look, just like Coker did with Daniel, um, did with Verdum, did with a lot of guys that came from Strike Force. Um, I think Adesanya, his main thing is, if he wants to be successful, he needs to find some wrestlers. There are no wrestlers in Australia. He needs to find some good wrestlers to train with because what worried me was he was get, he got taken down. He got granted he defended 16 takedowns. Mm-hmm. That's great, but he was he got taken down by a guy from Australia. That'd be like me saying that's a, that's like me getting outboxed by the Iranian boxing champion. <laughs> and like, he could be the champion of Iran, but Iran's not known for boxing. Just like Australia is not known for wrestling. So if Israel wants to be the champion, he's a, you know go ahead get with get with the um a team. You know, keep the same team you have, but once in a while, find that, find that, you know, hit up AKA or hit up here at ATT, hit up a group that has some solid wrestlers that you can go and do camps with and work your wrestling with. With the last style bender as his nickname, which is incredible, uh, he can strike and he, and it was a poise. He, he broke Wilkinson down strike by strike. That puts USC 221 to bed, King Mo. Before we preview the particulars in Friday's Bellator World Grand Prix heavyweight first round matchup, let's hear from them. Matt Mitrione followed by Roy Nelson. Enjoy. Yes, Matt Mitrione on the CBS Sports In This Corner podcast with King Mo and BC Brian Campbell. Matt, this Friday, Mohegan Sun Arena, the Bellator World Grand Prix, Chapter 2. It's a rematch. Matt Mitrione versus Roy Nelson. Thanks for joining the podcast. How fired up are you for this uh, this celebrity-packed eight-man tournament to crown a new Bellator heavyweight champion? I'm, I'm hyped, man. I'm, I'm excited to get back to work. I've been off of work. I only fought one time last year, you know, so I'm excited to get back into it and get after it. So the face across from me doesn't really matter. The fact to get to get back in there and perform is what I'm really excited about. So it's pretty hype. Matt, we've seen some odds, King Mo and I. We talk about the odds on here because uh, they have deemed you the tournament favorite at the beginning of this. That's that's some pressure to put on a man's shoulders. Are you Are you happy in carrying that? Um, yeah, I don't really see that as any pressure, to be honest. I mean, why should it be? I'm the best heavyweight in Bellator, so why should it be any pressure that, that, that I feel from that? Uh, and on top of that, like, I feel that I am, um, if I, if I'm asking for the, the, the torch to carry for Bellator, then something as simple as being the odds favorite shouldn't be any kind of pressure at all. So, yeah, man, I, I, I'm hyped for it. Sure, sounds great. Like, if that's who people want to put their money on, that's a really smart bet. You're going to win your mortgage money. <laughs> if you want to put your uh, your rent money on somebody else, then it is gonna, it's going to be what it's going to be, and you're probably going to lose it. It's going to be a rough go. Hey, so, Matt, what's up, man? This is Mo. What's up, Mo? How you doing, brother? Good, man. You good? Oh, uh, my dude, you know you know how it goes when you get to the tail end of a camp? And like you're you're such a grumpy prick, and like you had to watch your temper with everybody, and like that's how you know you're ready to get down and go because like it just you're so irritable. That's where I'm at right now. Like for the last week and a half, I've just been a prick to everybody. Um, I had to watch myself with my temper with my kids and everything else. So I know I'm ready to scrap. 
I feel good. I feel healthy. Uh, you know how it goes, man. Like you're, you're, and, you're, and the thing is, you got so long. That kind of sucks for you because you got so long until you compete that you got, you got a hot minute just to keep sitting around and waiting for it. That's a rough go for you. Uh, no, it's actually it's all good, man. For me, I'm I need the break. So let me ask you something. What changes are you gonna make for this fight versus Roy compared to the last time you fought him? You know, honestly, I think more than it was physical changes, I think it was life changes. You know, I had, uh, you know, sometimes, and, and I, I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to give excuses and take away from Roy beating me five years ago. But sometimes you go through some things and you're distracted. You don't have the focus that you need to have in your life. And I, I blame that a lot on my extracurricular activities. And um, so I just, I have a much more focused life now. Like my... Every, like I have a routine. My life is much more in order. And, uh, and I feel that that's going to be the difference. I feel like I had the tools to beat them back then. Uh, you know, it's just that I didn't, I wasn't as focused as I should have been in certain situations. Uh, it wasn't that I was not prepared. I was prepared. I just wasn't, I didn't have my, my life in order in order to be successful, but I believe I've changed that. So I believe I'm ready for it now. So, um, I noticed that you, you had um, Henry Hoof in your corner a few times, and you worked with uh, um, Layman Brewster. Um, for, your, for your camp, did you spend a lot of your camp in um, Indiana, or did you, go to, uh, did you come down here to Boca? And train? So I, I did a, a large portion of my camp back in Indiana. Uh, I went down and I worked with Henry for a, a while, with Coach Greg for a while, Coach Greg Jones, the wrestling coach. <laughs> Excuse me. But um, I, I felt like I get – I feel like my training partners in Indiana were, were, were really good at being Roy. Um, actually, we're so good at being Roy, I don't know if Roy could be Roy better than they could. <laughs> so I felt really good about that. And the bodies, the size, the strength. Like my average training partner back home, <clears throat> excuse me, is six foot, six foot one, 280 pounds. My other one is 5'11, five, five 320 pounds. Uh, I have a college wrestler that's about, you know, five, nine and a half, 300 pounds. So I have, and they're all grapplers, they're all wrestlers, and, and, and they throw big, heavy hands. So I feel like I got such a good look and preparation as far as tech, uh, technical wrestling, as far as, like, old guerrilla wrestling, and as far as grappling. So I spent, I spent a lot of time at home, brother. Plus, on top of that, Mo, you know as well as I do, man, when you're, when you're away from your family, uh, away from your kids, it's just not the same. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's a hard go. It's a hard life to be away from them. And that's one of the things I'm trying to curb is I'm trying to be home more so I can be around my children and be involved with their school activities and their daily lives. Matt, you mentioned that first fight with Roy Nelson, December 2012, the TKO one. It was the tough finale for UFC in Vegas. What was, I, I guess you would say, the turning point for you where you figured out to put some of the extracurriculars away and you developed the kind of championship-level focus, let's say, you would need to, to be at this point you're at now in your career? Well, I don't know if it really was ever, like, a point in my life like, like that. Like, like I, I feel like Roy did a good job, like, you know, and hats off to him. But uh, I feel that there were situations in which that were just life things. I mean, it's not like a point of, like, oh, you know, I was, I was – I was out blowing coke and getting drunk all the time, and all of a sudden I hit rock bottom. Like, nothing like that. It was just that life situations, you know? Like, you, you just, you mature. You go through a situation. Sometimes you handle it well. Sometimes you don't. 
uh, sometimes you think you handle it well, and then in retrospect, you look back and be like, damn, well, that really wasn't that slick of me to handle it this way. So, you know, it's just kind of, it's one of those scenarios that is just, it was just life. That's all it was. It was just life. So, you know, some, sometimes you grow up and you look at some stuff and be like, you know, I could handle this situation a little bit better. And I think that's what it was. The, the cool thing about this tournament for me, uh, you know, as a fan looking at it is there's huge names, but not every name is the same guy they were when they first made that name, right? Like, we love that Fedor and Chael are in it, but this isn't Fedor and Chael from, from 2005 or 2008. Who between you and Roy has benefited from the five and a half years since the first time you fought? Well, I mean, I would hope that's a pretty obvious answer. That's me. Uh, that was, Me fighting Roy was my sixth fight ever, uh, and I had a lot to learn, and I had a lot to in order to, <clears throat> to adjust uh, in my life. Uh, I was Roy's 24th fight ever, I believe, maybe 25th fight, something like that. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's a lot of wear and tear. And Roy's fighting style doesn't really change that much. And mine has only gotten better. So I feel like I've benefited from those five and a half years. We got to ask you about this Fedor fight. And I got to ask you from this point of view. Look, it was your your last time out. It was the Bellator NYC pay-per-view. This was, you know, the co-main event, a big part of it. But there are moments, Matt, when you are a journalist or a fan and you're at a fight, boxing, MMA, pro wrestling, whatever it is. There are these moments that stick with you. You and Fedor created a moment with this double knockdown where it's like, I'm going to remember where I was the, what I was looking at, what I was feeling, what the temperature in the arena was, what the smell was, because this was like an action movie, oh crap type of moment when you knock each other down and for like a split second, we think we just watched a double knockout on like the highest level on a heavyweight MMA pay-per-view with two well-known guys. Talk to me from your perspective of what happened and how conscious you are in that moment. You got to tell me this story. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it was pretty wild, especially with the whole the whole garbage about Russia and America and Trump and and Putin and all that madness. Like it was it was absolutely it was a real rocky. It was a combination of a rocky two moment and a rocky four moment. You know, it was just <laughs> it was pretty wild, man. Actually, it was probably rocky one, wasn't it? At the end of rocky one, rocky then, two uh, at the rocky end four. when they're trying anyway, to get up. Yeah, rocky two. Um, yeah, but it, I mean, it was just it was wild and like. It would just, I, I threw a baby hook, you know, like just a little something for distance just because yeah, I felt like he was a little too close. Uh, and uh, and he just fired off from his hip, and he's so quick at what he does that as soon as I hit him, and, and I saw, like, I was surprised that I dropped because it, it, it didn't really, I didn't feel like it was powerful. I just felt like it was quick. Um, but I guess quick is powerful enough if you're not prepared for it. And, um, when I fell, I hit my butt, but I never, like, my neck never got loose. I, I always had focus on what, what Fedor was doing. And then I saw the I saw the back of his head bounce off the canvas, and I was like, dude, I'm about to, I don't want to stand back up with this dude and take that quick-ass punch again, so I better finish him off. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> Can you feel the crowd in that moment? Can you feel the the the, the noises that were being made, the gasps of, of like, who's going to get up first? What's going to happen next? I mean, the drama was incredible. <laughs> You know, I, I don't remember if I did hear the crowd in that situation. Are you there, Matt? We may have lost you there. All right. We're and back. then so uh, as soon as – oh, I'm sorry. I thought you just wanted to no, pick up. No, go for it. Let's do it. 
Yeah, yeah, man. It, it, I can't remember if I got. Uh, I can't remember if the crowd, uh, if I picked the crowd up at that moment, or if it was right after I hit him and he flopped back. Uh, but I remember that it was <clears throat> absolute madness when it went on. Like I remember, like the, the, how loud the crowd was, how crazy it was. Um, it was a great feeling. Really, really cool. Uh, I'm glad I was on the positive side of it for certain. So that's like a that's a landmark victory. I mean, you, you beat a legend. You beat the greatest heavyweight of all time for most people's money. Did you have any genuine Fedor moments? Did he give you the sweater? I mean, what did you get from this whole deal with him? You got any good story? You're a great storyteller here, Meathead. Give us something here. Um, you know, he was he was always incredibly cool, man. Like he was extremely humble. Like it was it was, it was odd. Like he was so humble, it was almost like disarming. You know, like where like there was. Like after the fight, I, I went into his uh, his locker room and I, I gave him my gloves. I was like, "Hey man, would you, would you please sign these?" And he had no problem with it. He was totally cool about it. Like he was always just like really casual. He's like a really solid dude, man. Um, all like all in all, like it was just it was about as good of a situation as as uh, as it could have been. And it was it was awesome. There, there's unfortunately there's nothing really crazy to tell you. He just was a really solid dude. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. I would have taken some kind of story involving vodka or, or, or knocking fools out in the alley, whatever you had for me. But I'll accept that, Matt. <laughs> we want to talk to you about this tournament. Of course, you're fighting Roy on Friday. What, what was your take on, on Chapter 1 of this on Chael Sonnen defeated Rampage Jackson? Um, I, I thought Chael did exactly what Chael had to do in order to win. Uh, I think he was smart. I was surprised that, that Rampage allowed that, that inside trip as much as he did and surprised he didn't pummel in as much as he should have. Uh, but... You know what I mean? Things happen, man. It was it was a great game plan by by Chael, that's for certain. We have another matchup coming up with Fedor and Frank Mir, followed, of course, by King Mo and Ryan Bader. Uh, who do you sort of look at as the favorites in those fights? I'm sorry, one more time. The the other two matchups in this tournament: Frank Mir against Fedor and King Mo against Ryan Bader. Who are you looking at in those matchups? Um, I, I look for, um, I, I think, I think, uh, I think Fedor beats Frank just because Frank's had too much time off. Um, and I think that, uh, it's going to be a rough one. I think Bader beats Mo. I think that, uh, I think it's a tough fight. I think that, uh, I think Bader, um, just for some reason I'm doing the Bader's going to out wrestle Mo. That's why I feel it's going to happen. Kim Mo, we got to put a stop to that. Come on. Yeah, he could think that. <laughs> no, I don't mean, I don't mean put a stop to Matt. I mean, you got to put a stop to Ryan. He's not going to out wrestle you. Come on. It's just that I never really use my wrestling much in my fights, so people think I can't wrestle. I beat Bader when he wrestled. You know what I'm saying? Like I think he wrestled twice. Yeah, no, I know that you. I know you beat him in a one on one in wrestling. Is that back in college? Yeah, back in college. But things that I kept on wrestling and he stopped. I think Bader is a good power wrestler, but other than that, he has nothing but just power. He has nothing like no types of trips. He has a good. He has a good lateral drop though. He hit a good lateral drop on uh, Lenny Vassell, but other than that, like he's just, just a power, no underhooks. You don't see much. No, no variety in the um, positions and ties. Well, that, that, I guarantee that's the reason why I feel the way I feel. Uh, just because I, I haven't seen that that side of you much. So, yeah, I guess that's pretty accurate. Matt, as we as we wind down here, the 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 goal is the heavyweight championship of the world for Bellator. This tournament is a lot of glitz and glamour, but there's a real prize at the end of it. Thirty nine years old, you're sort of coming into your own as a heavyweight after after a late start coming off your NFL career. What does this this belt mean to you at this point? What does what now? Say again. The, the opportunity for this championship mean to you? Uh, well, it means that I can I, I can get home after after winning. And after winning the title, I can get home and 
and, and, and laying at the feet of my children's bed, you know, when they wake up in the morning, they can say, you know, hey, uh, I can, it's, it's something tangible I can give them and say, hey, look, this is what all the time away and the sacrifice was for. There it is. There it is. I like that. Step one of that journey is Friday on the Paramount Network from the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. The rematch, Matt Mitrione, Roy Nelson, and the first round of the Bellator World Grand Prix. Matt, thanks for your time. Best of luck to you. Very much looking forward to see this fight break down. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, boys. Easy. All right, my podcast partner, King Mole the Wall, just had to step out. He's got Ryan Bader to deal with, right? He's got wrestling practice. He's got some things to do. But he left me a question. He says, Sensei, how are you preparing differently the second time around as you enter the rematch with Mitrione? I I think the easiest way that I'm preparing is um, just I'm focused. Just The last time I wasn't really that focused, uh, now I'm focused. Hey, if unfocused means knocking out Matt Mitrione in the first round, that's not that bad, Roy Nelson. Let's let's take us back to that fight, December 2012, the tough finale in Vegas with the UFC. Mitrione was able to get some strikes off early, but you brought the boom in the end. What do you remember from that bout? Uh, yeah, no, I, I he you know he punched me and kicked me, and I punched him, and that was pretty much the fight. I mean, we we punched each other a lot. I just punched him more than more times and hit him harder than he hit me. I like that. That's simple. We punched and kicked hard. That's what I'm talking about here, Big Country, Roy Nelson. Now, look, we're almost six years removed from that, and that's sort of part of the, some of the charm in this Bellator Grand Prix tournament. We got big names. Not everyone, let's say, you know, the years in between from their prime have been as good to them. When you look at this fight almost six years later, who has the advantage from the time spent in terms of improvement or in terms of age? Uh, you know what? It, it, I think it all—it's all about um, your perception of what you know, what you think you're learning from. Um, from Matt, from Matt's end, he's like, you know, I've I've learned quite a bit, and then from my end, I'm like, I've definitely improved as a fighter. So I'm a better fighter than I was back then, and and I'm sure he's a better fighter than what he was back then too. But at the end of the day, is um, like if you stacked it up, uh, who's the best fighter, and that would be me. I always loved your your character, your persona, Roy. And maybe it's not a character. That's probably the the charm to it. You know, big country, the big beard, the 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 big belly. You'll give as good as you'll take. There's this lunch pail part of you, work ethic, blue collar that that the fans connect with. But this is not just a tournament with big names. There's a real you know prize at the end, the Bellator Heavyweight Championship. At this point in your career, I mean, how much is that a motivator for you? Oh, it's definitely a motivator. It's, uh, it's one of those like bookcase um, type things, you know. When I got into my uh, very first fight was uh, for a championship fight. Uh, it was a tournament that I had to do, and then, and then now towards the end of my career, I want to, uh, you know, win another belt and, and just kind of bookcase. Absolutely here. I love in the build-up to this fight, we saw you on sort of the preview documentary video that Bellator put out. You're getting a haircut. You're talking about you're keeping the mullet around because the wife loves it. That's become a another part of your character, another you know gimmick for you. When did the the mullet first become a reality for you? Uh you know the mullet started back when I did the Ultimate Fighter show, um, it, as a joke because I was joking around, you know, using the big country, and we were branding, and we were just joking around, joking around, saying I'd come in in like a 1988, you know, um, I Rock Camaro, <laughs> you know, just that standard you know like that look and it just kind of just stuck 
I love that. Is that a car that you drive back, drove back in the day in high school? I mean, that that seems like I, I'm I got the image in my head of Roy Nelson there rocking out in that. No, I, I, I really wasn't that cool. So no. <laughs> well, part of the look in the, is the big beard, but it's also a beard in a you know MMA figurative se- sense. In terms of you are noted are among the short list of guys with the greatest chins in MMA history, and it's always a good question when I'm talking to boxers or mixed martial artists on what a chin really means. What's the percentage of how much that's mental as opposed to physical? How is that always broke down for you in terms of being a guy who can take anything and keep coming? Um, you know what? It's one of those things in my head that um, I actually don't think I have a great chin. I just think I just don't get hit that hard. Interesting. Interesting way to look at it because, I mean, I've seen guys just bounce off of you. Yeah, no, it's it's like, you know, how, like, if you were ever, spot, you know, like, if you, you have any siblings? Yes. I will have an older sister, so I didn't really spar her that much, though. No, no, but just like, you know, like if your sister hit you, you'd be like, ah, eh, not that big of a deal. You know, like once you got older, you know, like when you're younger, you're like, oh, and then you got older, it didn't hurt that much. It's, uh, it's how I kind of look at uh, fight. All right, all right, all right, fair enough. Are we going to see the uh, the full beard floating? Is is there any ever anyone commissions that say, hey, you got to trim that beard up a little bit? Are we going to get away with the with the full Monty here? Uh, yeah, no, the thing is I always, uh, I'm always um, trimming the beard, so. I always got to look uh, very professional myself, uh, but for the most part, it, it's it's going to be uh, kind of full blown, you know, just for the for the fans. That's just, that's what we like. Uh, we saw you in your Bellator debut last September. You took a decision over Javi Ayala, and the story coming out of that was like, "Hey, Roy's not hanging and banging. Roy's wrestling." And I like some of your quotes after that. You said, "I've always been wrestling," but it seemed like a surprise to people at how easily you controlled that using that strategy. Yeah, no, I, I think um, it's it's kind of like uh, in my whole MMA career, it's uh, definitely been a, I guess, full circle because like my first six fights, all I did was submit people. I just take them down and submit them. Um, and then after I knocked somebody out, uh, then I was like, oh, this is so much easier. So then I just started knocking everybody out. And then now it's, you know, kind of full circle. And now I can wrestle you and knock you out. You just don't know what you're going to get now. Well, the first, I, I followed you back in the day in the IFL. I've, I've seen some of you, you know, I was a, a follower of what you were doing early on. But for some of the mainstream fans, the first time we got to meet you, got to got to notice you was, of course, on The Ultimate Fighter 2009. You had that match against Kimbo Slice, you know, did all kinds of rating success. And we're big fans of Kimbo on this show. It was just the anniversary of his birthday. Do you have any good Kimbo stories from, from being in that house back in the day? Yeah, no, the I think... Um... The one that I wish every, you know, even back then, I think they should do a new release for, you know, the Ultimate Fighter for DVD series is, uh, me and Kimbo were actually roommates. So, like, we always had some really good talks just because, I mean, first of all, we were roommates. And then after I beat Kimbo, Kimbo wanted to know how I beat him. So then I'd give him a lesson of showing him exactly how I beat him and how to get out of it and how to, and he, and he thought that was really cool that I'd actually show him all that. That's great. That's great. There's always sort of that like dichotomy where he's such a scary persona, but anyone you talk to says the sweetest man in person. Yeah, no, if if he respected you, he respected you. If he didn't respect you, he, he let you know that he didn't respect you. I like that. I like that. Now, Roy, as we look ahead to this tournament, we saw Chael Sonnen defeat Rampage Jackson in the first round matchup. We have two more fights to go after yours. When you look at Frank Mir versus Fedor, who do you like in that one? 
Hi, uh, you know what? That's a toughie. I think it all depends on uh, is uh, are they drug testing or not? I, I think so. That's interesting. But that, that that's always the um, the test for me, because then that kind of depends on which one you're going to get. On, uh, for Frank. Frank looked like he had a big country Nelson uh, belly going on when he showed up at the uh, at the uh, Chael Rampage. That's gimmick infringement, Roy. It could be that or cycling. It's true. That, that could be that. And now we look at King Mo versus Bader in the final first round matchup. King Mo is a big fan of yours. You sparred and trained with him many times. We had Matt Mitrione tell King Mo to his face on here. He likes Bader. Who do you like? Um, You know what? I like Mo. I really like Mo. That's what I'm talking about. That's the wrestling. You've had some you've had some good sparring back in the day. He said if I have to fight Roy, I will, but I don't know if I, I want to. That's what he said, all right? Always. Always. Well we'll see you Friday night the Except, rematch. Unless he's fight unless he's fighting me, then then it, then it's me and then and then it becomes you. There you go. There it is. Roy Nelson, big country, we thank oh. you for your time. Looking forward to the rematch with Matt Mitrione. One step closer to that Bellator world. Heavyweight Championship. Best of luck to you, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. King Mo, we heard from the two participants right there. How about Mitrion picking Ryan Bader over there? Come on. Come on, Mitrion. You should know better than that. Come on, man. Uh, he's just sticking, he's sticking with his, uh, uh, former, um, UFC, um, uh, you know, teammate or whatever colleague, you know, they, they were at the UFC together. So that's, that's who he's running with. Matt really don't know much about me, but I don't think he's really watching me fight much because he says that he hasn't seen me really wrestle, you know. But I wrestle, so whatever. All right, I'm going I'm to prove him wrong. I hope, I hope he can get past Roy, you know, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's break that down. It is this Friday at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut on the Paramount Network, King Mo. It's a rematch like we talked about during those interviews from their 2012 matchup in the UFC. You were there, the tough finale in December in Las Vegas, uh, Matt talked about how far he's come from that fight. Let me ask you about that. Mitrione came to the game late from the U- from the NFL, doesn't have the traditional backgrounds. How evolved is he in your eyes from the guy we first saw in the UFC to now? Uh, he's evolved, but you know he's come. Um, uh, he's more patient in the in the in the, um, in the cage. He's more relaxed. You, you, you can tell he's a vet. Um, doesn't waste his punches. The, I, I just think that he's more more than anything. He's more mental. You know, what I'm saying he already has the physical tools, but he's more it's more mental. His evolution because I can, he he looks more relaxed in the cage compared to before. What did you see in that first match? And now, granted, look, it's it's nearly six years ago. So Roy Nelson's 41 now, Mitrione 39. That was a younger big country first round TKO. Didn't seem to have too much problem with him. Uh, is there anything to take from that fight in how you handicapped the rematch almost six years later? Well, if you look at that fight, um, was getting off on Roy. He was touching Roy up. It's just that he made him start backing up for the cage and Roy hit him with a counter uppercut, right hand, left, I believe, or something like that. Uppercut, right hand, left hook, three punch combo and, uh, sat, uh, Matt down. But, uh, if he can stay on his bike, he can move and fight long, it'll be not long night for Roy. But Roy can go, repeat what he did last time, put the pressure on Matt and punch with Matt. He can get that victory. That's a key right there. Now, look, Roy Nelson's one of the greatest chins in MMA history. We've seen him uh, knocked out, what, just one time against Mark Hunt in 2014? And, look, Mark Hunt knocks out everyone. Does Mitrione have the power and striking ability 
to win this fight in any way but a decision. Yeah, he has the power to get a knockout. Look, heavyweight, yeah, all it takes is that one punch you don't see. And you know, Matt's a big dude. Roy's a big dude. As you get older and, and the longer you stay in the game, the weaker your chin gets. Your chin don't stay the same. Your chin don't get stronger. It gets weaker. We all, like all of our chins, you know, as time goes, it gets weaker. So hopefully Roy don't take too much damage and he can get the, you know, and go out there and fight smart. Cause Roy's my boy. But at the same time, Roy's, you watch for a fight. He don't move his head too much. He's there to get hit. So it's going to be an interesting fight. Hopefully, you know, um, these guys go out there, put on, put on the line and put, put on a good show for us. All right, I, I didn't. I did forget looking at Roy Nelson's resume. He was stopped by Andre Arlovsky under the Elite XC banner back in 2008. King Mo Roy Nelson just made his Bellator debut in last September. Uh, a decision over Javi Ayala, which was very wrestling heavy. Afterwards, he talked about you guys don't know, but I train wrestling all the time. I'm a good wrestler. I don't always show it. Will should he show it against Mitrione? Is this a strategy that could lead him to victory? Well, I think he should. Mix it up because if you listen to what, what, what Matt said, Matt said I got big strong guys, I got a wrestler, I got this. So he just wrestle him. Roy just mix it up to keep Matt guessing. But it, will he do that? We don't know. That's the key. So I, when I look at this matchup on paper, from from what I know, you know, I I think Mitrion has the skills to win this. I just wonder if he has the chin. I wonder if he does. We saw Mitrion. Get dropped by Fedor. Look, granted, it's Fedor, right? But we also saw Metrion in his three Bellator fights get dropped and almost stopped by guys who are certainly not on that level. That plays into how I predict this fight because Roy's always going to have that power. It's going to be the last thing to go. If Matt gets too cute, if he gets too busy, I wonder if Roy can finish this one. Roy has that one-punch power, man. Right hand. And the thing is, like, I, the right hand, the best punch to throw versus Southpaw. You know, so, uh, the right hand and the left hook, but really the right hand's like really known for being the southpaw killer. Can Roy get that right hand off? Right hook? Straight right. Not an overhand. Roy's throw a right hook or a straight right. The overhand, Matt's gonna move, avoid. Right hook and Matt guards up will come around the guard. If it's straight, maybe, maybe, maybe Roy can surprise Matt the same way Fedor did. It's a straight punch. Very interesting. King Mo, the interesting part about having you break this fight down is if you defeat Ryan Bader in May in your matchup in the tournament, you will face the winner of Friday's Matt Mitrione Roy Nelson fight. I want to ask you two questions at the same time, King Mo. I want to know who do you think is going to win this fight? And I want to know from your purposes, who do you want to win this fight? Come on, King. Come on, King. Bring it on. Yeah, I think that um, I want Roy to win, right? I think Roy's going to win the fight. But Matt is so dangerous. Um, He's quick, athletic. He's actually improving. I'm going to be real with you. As far as improvement-wise, I think Matt's improved more than Roy just because he has more, he's, more, he's had more room to grow. Um, He's confident. Um, and it's a rematch. I I know he wants revenge. I know Roy wants to keep the, keep the, um, keep that, keep that victory going and get the, get another W over him. So, uh, this could be interesting, man. I'm rolling with Roy on this, but anything can happen. What's a, is, is Mitrione a better style matchup for you, honestly, if you defeat Bader and, and he moves on? It's all the same because Matt can't wrestle and Matt can get the best, he has the biggest, best wrestlers he wants to, but 
He don't have no time. You know what I'm saying? Because in order to stop wrestling at a high level, you have to put in months and years. And think about this. One act will face any wrestlers. And he doesn't have time to really work on that. So now he faces me. Then he has to work on wrestling right then. And it won't help him. It won't help him at all. Will you be in attendance at the Mohegan Sun on TV front row with the camera on your face looking for your reaction to see what, how this one breaks down? We're going to see King Mo in the flesh there. I will beat the Mohegan Sun. I'll be there live and direct. Cage side. <laughs> All right, maybe we'll see some of this. When they step foot in the cage, they're going to pay the price. Nap time. Maybe it'll be nap time. Maybe it'll be nap time. My prediction, it will be nap time. Roy Nelson's got one more big victory in him over Matt, Matt Mitrione, and then we'll see what happens on the King Mo Bader side of the bracket. But, hey, look, interesting card on Friday night. We also got Pitbull, Patricky, Friere coming back against Derek Campos. We got an interesting women's flyweight match in that pro boxers Heather Hardy and Anna Hulatin are going to square off. And then they're going to square off again in boxing after that. You don't see that too often. Lou DiBella, the promoter, trying to to pull that trick off on the boxing side. But, King Mo, that will wrap it up for us as we look back at UFC. We looked ahead at Bellator. Special thanks to our guests, Matt Mitrione and Big Country Roy Nelson. You got to get out of here, King Mo, because you got to get back into that cage wrestling practice today. You got to get ready for Bader. Come on. How how are we doing? Where are we in this uh, advancement as we push toward May? Man, training's going great. I had a chance to had um you know a chance to spar with Brian Jennings for a week and a half. Got beat up by him. Um, working my grappling, working my wrestling, Steve Mako. So I'm ready, man. Um, it's gonna be a uh, May 12th is gonna be a bad night. One hit a quitter. We gonna see the one hit a quitter? Is it making a comeback? Uh, nah, it's gonna be a beatdown. I'm not trying. I'm trying. My thing is, I'm trying to. I'm trying to go out there and beat this guy up for. If he wants, if he want, if he can quit, my thing is to beat him up to where he quits. If he, he wants to take a, a beating for three rounds, go ahead. But my goal is to break him to where he quits. I want to break him to where he quits. He, where he stops, he fakes the knockout. He's like, okay, Mo, you won. I'm just going to close my eyes and lay here. You know, ref, raise his hand, ref. He got this. <laughs> so King Mo beat Ryan Bader in amateur wrestling. If King Mo beats Ryan Bader in uh, mixed martial arts, can we go for the trifecta? Can we box? Can we box one-on-one -on -one here? Let's get King Mo in a boxing ring. He definitely don't want to see me in the boxing ring because I'll box the brakes off. <laughs> I'll box the ears off him. I'll look like Billy Joe Saunders out there. <laughs> <laughs> Follow the King on social media at King Mo FH. Follow me at B Campbell CBS. And heck, follow this show in this corner. King Mo, we leave the people with two words to take with them on the way out. We out. <laughs> <laughs>